Hey everybody, it's Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. Sitting here with uh, my partners, Jonathan and Keith, and we're going to be doing a sort of a best of, uh, looking at uh, the nearly 50 episodes that we've put forth uh, over the last two years. Um, we each picked one uh, episode that we sort of jumped out of this as one of our favorites. Not that they weren't all fantastic this year, uh, but these are three that sort of resonated with us. Um, so I'm going to throw it over to Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan, what was the, the one that sort of jumped out of you as being your favorite? Yeah, so... Um, my, I think my take on it is, you know, I was between a couple of them. One that I actually wasn't present for was uh, Joel Burslam from Thousand Watt, um, who we've had a relationship with for a while. And, and not surprisingly, it was a fascinating 30 minute conversation about real estate tech and industry trends. Um, and, uh, I think w- one of my favorite, well, he, I think he said he said two. He had two points during the conversation, which I loved. One was um, about benefits versus features relating to real estate technology. Talking about how real estate tech is rolled out, and a lot of people talk about features, features, features. Hey, I've got this functionality. We've got this functionality, but many people typically don't talk about the benefits. What are the benefits of real estate tech? And so we can touch on that. But the other point that he talked about was was um, something that we stress a lot at Nest. And uh, you know we're not always perfect with it, but um, talking about the concept of subtraction, of taking things away and making things more simple, um, and really how that adds value to to anything, whether it's marketing or whether it's operations or whether it's tech. Um, you know, taking taking those two concepts. So I, I, I just you know I think you guys. Um, did a phenomenal job with him, and he always brings great points to the table. So I, I enjoyed uh, listening to that one on a long run. Um, so, anyways, I don't know what, what do y'all any, anything stand out from that conversation with y'all? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the interesting part was I I always go back to the fact that you know it's now been twelve, thirteen years since we started Nest, and and um, one of the first books that you brought to the table, Jonathan, was was different. Um, and in that book was the discussion of why Google was so different when it came up with its homepage, right? That it was the Yahoo cluttered page of providing as many different feature sets and as many different value propositions as it could. And Google just said, we're going to do one thing. We're going to do one thing right. And it subtracted everything else away. It gave you the clean the clean screen that we we know now. And I think, you know, Joel's, Joel's comment to the subtraction is exactly that. It's still focus on what you do, what you absolutely have to do. Do it so well that no one can compete with you. And don't try and clutter it up with with all kinds of extraneous pieces. And I think, um, you know, just looking at at some of the successful tech, you know, some of the some of the programs and things that we've used over the years, many companies upon launch, I think were were better technology platforms than they became over time. Um, and, you know, some of them have, have been bought and sold as companies over the years, but just those that do one thing really, really well that provide a huge benefit to agents or to brokers, they succeed in that manner. When they become something that's bigger, that adds too much to the plate, people stop wanting to use it. They stop seeing as much value to it. And, um, you know, that's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's kind of a catch 22, right? You want to make your product better, but how do you do that without really kind of staying core, you know, true to your core? Yeah, I mean, I was reviewing the notes for that one, and one of the things I thought he said that that really jumped out was, you know, what he said that if you give us all, give each of us a hammer uh, and tell us to go build something, uh, we'd each build something different. Um, I mean, every, I think that the tool matters greatly, but it's how you apply and use that tool uh, that matters sometimes even more. Uh, so yeah, I think that Joel 
I think it, the thousand watt folks are I mean they're marketers. They are succinct and poignant with the way with the way they use words. Uh, but I think that his his pointing out that uh, you know how you use that tool really does matter because uh, you know I think I would use use my hammer a little bit differently than Keith or Jonathan would. It might be just throwing it at the wall from a distance out of frustration. Um, but yeah, that's a his his was a really fun interview. Yeah. Well, it's it's a challenge that we're running into now that we'll probably um, touch base on here in, in future episodes. But we've built tech internally, and it's been, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased, but it's been great. It's been amazing at what it does, and it, but it's been very focused on you know th- eh, four or five different components of of helping a realtor um, run their business. And we're now evolving into a more robust um, tech platform um, that we're going to be rolling out next year to our agents with more features. Um, but the, the 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 point that we've kept in mind is that we haven't wanted to just add every bell and whistle and functionality and tool for our agents. Um, I think what we're doing is we're evolving and we're getting better without adding you know, too much to their plates. And we, we've had this conversation for years about kind of the nest toolboxes. We want to build a toolbox that's robust enough for everybody, but we know not every agent is going to pick up, you know, every tool. Like I, I may use the saw and may not love the hammer, but Keith may love the hammer and not the, you know, not the saw. So um, what's, what we're trying to do is build that toolbox for agents. So an agent can, you know, figuratively look in there and say, I'll, you know, I'll take these three tools or I'll take these four tools and, I don't, you know, that, you know, uh, that, that jackhammer scares me. So I'm just going <laughs> to kind of leave it. Um, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a challenge. So uh, anyway, I, I think that's probably why that episode resonated with me the most as I've been thinking back, uh, on, on the episodes over the last year plus is because right now we're in the moment of like looking at our functionality and tools and specifically technology tools for our agents and really looking at saying, Hey, what are the benefits that we're bringing with tech and why are we doing this and how is this benefiting, but also not overloading them too much with, you know, with everything, because, you know, we've used this example before, but the top producers, uh, top producer CRMs of the world that just keep adding functionality and just keep layering on additional functionality. And then as Keith alluded to at a certain point in time, um, there's an inflection point and an agent just kind of, shuts the door and stops using it because it's too complicated. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry that a little bit differently with a, di- with a different metaphor and throw it to Keith, which I um, he'll see where I'm going with this. He, he's going to jump on it. Um, but I remember it, I, I'm, try- I'm sort of thinking about the simplicity angle and the editing perspective uh, and the Lego buildings I would build when I was a kid. You know, I'd always just add one, two, three, four more Legos on top of that building, and eventually it would topple over. You know, so I think it's a matter of as we're applying these tools, it's editing, editing the stuff we use also and, you know, maybe pulling off a few Lego here and there while you're adding one or two. But right. Keith. Uh, well, I'm actually thinking back and, and I'll, I'll just tell a funny story. Jim gave me one of my favorite books of all time for Christmas a couple of years back, which was how to build some of the most beautiful architectural gems of, of, of the world in Legos, which was pretty cool. Um, no, the, you know, I don't know. I, I think what was interesting to me about the Joel conversation, you know, Jonathan said they're marketers, right? And they are. That is, or maybe Jim, you're the one who said they're marketers mm-hmm. at, at Thousand Watt, and they are. But the other pieces, they really help you focus on the strategy of the company. It's not just what words can we do to make something sell better. It's how do we 
really look at product development. And yes, it's a marketing question. It is a, in the sense of how do we serve the market better? But a lot of what we talked about was not just how do you pitch this to agents? It's how do you design something that has more value? How do you, how do you really limit what you're doing to provide the greatest value of every, of every move? And, um, you know, you're right. I mean, if you, if you put too many Legos on, it does topple over. You've got to have the strength of the foundation, um, to be able to build th- things up. And I just, I look at CRM packages that, that started so simply and became too complex for the, for the general populace to use. I think about, um, you know, we're, we're big fans of, of the, the new digital ACHs that use the plaid technology that visas launched. Uh, Ernest is the, is one of the companies that we work with. And let me tell you, Ernest does one thing. They do it really well, but they do one thing and it's easy to use. It's, there's not a lot of barriers to, to, you know, converting a, a new agent over to that technology. Um, but it does it really, really well. And I think that's, that's kind of the epitome of what Joel was talking about is how do you develop that perfect little tool that does exactly what it needs to do and nothing else. Here's a quick segment from our interview with Joel Burslin from Thousand Watt. Well, I think, I mean, just to get back to your point about the, the one thing, you know, a word that we have used a lot internally at Thousand Watt over the last um, sixty days, if not longer, honestly, but but really has come into focus through a number of projects that we've worked on is subtraction. I think that's a really key um, word for you and your listeners to really uh, absorb. And what we mean by that is there's always a temptation in marketing, advertising, product design. Really, you know, anywhere you're trying to reach a an audience, and your audience could be if you're a broker, your agents, or if you're an agent, your buyers and sellers, there's that temptation to just add, to continually sure. add more stuff, more pages to your listing presentation, more bullets on your sales presentation slides, uh, more stuff that you offer uh, your agents when they join your firm. And the the problem there is, as we all know, when you as you talk about it, Jim, like when you log into that that dashboard, like as human beings, we are really poorly equipped to deal with lots of choices. Right. So that notion of subtraction, what can you do today in your world to take things off your plate, remove stuff? It's really hard. It's really easy to keep adding more stuff. It's a lot harder to like go through and actually say, what do we want to take out of this? Right. So like at Nest, you know, I mean, you guys do some phenomenal work with the marketing, um, you know, the Friends of Nest program, all the the stuff that you offer. But like, what's one thing that you could take away from that that maybe you don't need anymore? Well, and I've just done because it's always been done. So I think that's the challenge here in in sort of late 2020 um, is what... What can you remove from your world to simplify it? Because I think we're all looking for simplicity. One of the other pieces is we kind of look back at at the last year. Certainly, the the COVID pandemic has changed the way we look at business, and and that kind of puts me thinking about one of my favorite episodes, which uh, was Vanessa Bergmark from from Red Oak Realty, 
um, who we had on probably three, four weeks into the COVID pandemic. We were all still locked down um, across the country, wondering when we would even start going back out and, and um, kind of getting things even beginning to open up the economy. And I loved that it, it wasn't it wasn't the the conversation didn't have anything that was earth shattering. What was amazing about it was that Vanessa kind of started with, yeah, it's been an exhausting four weeks to keep things going for my agents and for my clients. But the first thing she did was reached out to uh, to other broker owners all around the Oakland area and said, how are we going to address the needs that our clients have and how are we going to keep business flowing? And I think Vanessa and that conversation just keeps resonating with me throughout this whole year of what type of leader is going to survive in 2020 and moving forward and how quickly, you know, we know 2021 is not going to be like this year, but we don't know why or how or what's going to be different yet. And I think the flexibility, the the versatility that, that Vanessa demonstrated in that early COVID time was just, it was great to be able to look back at. Um, and I, I always love chatting with her, but I think that one, that conversation in particular really resonated with me about what a great leader she is for her organization and, and how much we can all take away from, from that flexibility. Well, I think, I think that would, the, when she, the, I think that what, but mo- one of the things that most impressed me about what she did was the speed with which she recognized the need to, to cooperate with others and to set, and to set competition to to the side for the, for the, well, it's a really long moment now, uh, but for the moment, say you know, we have a pandemic. Uh, we need to work together to make sure that we and our agents and our businesses survive and thrive and serve our clients. And she immediately jumped on it, and um, I don't know, it was just it, it was it, it, remarkable efficiency and speed and recognition of a challenge that she sought to address. Um, and I think it set, really set a standard and example that all of us can follow. So it was, it was nice to look back at back at that one as well. Right. And for me with that, the two words that stick out to that is um, nimble. Jim, just like you were saying, she just immediately recognized on a dime, like I've got to, I've got to adjust, I've got to change. And she talked about how she was utilizing video even more and continued increased communication with her, with her team um, and a couple other things. But then the second was collaboration. She, you know, we, we use this term all the time in our industry, um, um, cooperative brokerage. Um, but in many cases, it's not the case where brokerages, you know, really are, are, especially over the past couple of years, we've heard a lot of stories about brokerages just going, going after and trying to recruit, recruit, recruit from specific brokerages. And I think you come, uh, come across a point where we were in mid-March and you, you, you reach a fork in the road and you could say, Hey, look, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to go out and recruit and you know, grow my business, or I'm going to look at this, at this as an opportunity to solidify relationships in the in the in the local area. And she took the second path, which yeah, you know, kudos to her. Um, yeah. it probably uh, you know, it, uh, you know, from our perspective, we're all sitting here nodding our heads. Um, it was the right decision to do that, and she spearheaded the efforts of collaboration in the whole Bay Area to get brokers to start working together to figure out, hey, how are we going to navigate this? Because ultimately, our industry thrives off of the network effects of each other being there and being successful. And this is not a you know last man standing um, type of business. You need 
other brokers and other brokerages and other agents to be able to to thrive um, in the industry. So those are the two the two things: nimble and collaboration. That really uh, I loved about about that conversation. Well, yeah. and I think the, the thing you just said, Jonathan, about cooperative brokerage. You know, within the industry, we all learn that term from you know from the first day you join a realtor association that we are we are all competitors, but we all cooperate, right? And but the reality is is that that tends to tends to be a statement that we're talking about we share commissions and we work together to try and help both of our clients achieve a goal right but where Vanessa took it was we got to collaborate we got to be you know cooperative in every every state and I think you know again I go back to the founding of, of nest and we started saying from the very early on we wanted our agents involved in the realtor associations because the more you knew people outside of the closing table and outside of showing and outside of listing the better you were going to be able to function on a day-to-day basis on helping your clients get what they needed to from from a purchase contract and I think um, you know what Vanessa did was it was just demonstrative of of that effort and what we've what we've known, but we sometimes put aside and fail to act on when we don't have a quote need to do that. And um, she did a great job with it. Yep. Yeah, good good learning for all of us. Here's a quick segment from our interview with Vanessa Bergmark. We were going into shelter in place that first night. I was still working from home. My staff was already over working from home. And I realized like we're about to go into something brand new. And as soon as I heard we were sheltering in place, I'm like, we are going to have, we're going to have conflict and mayhem from all of these transactions that we're currently in. So we pulled all of our lists. We got all of our transactions out there and we're like, all right, reach out to these agents, like figure out what's at, what what's going to need triage instantly. But then I thought more so than that, we've got all these other brokerages that are in the exact same place. So I sent out an email and said, Hey, um, we got this new dawn upon us and I don't know about you. Um, but I think that we're going to have a lot of conflict and I think that there's going to be a lot of unknowns. And if we could just get together as a group and figure out a way to collaborate through this, we are going to bring down the fear and the angst not only of our agents, but more importantly, of our clientele. So if anyone's interested, let's just let's just set up a meeting and uh, we'll do a Zoom meeting. And here's the login. You don't even need to RSVP. It's going to be Thursday. I'll see you there if you want to come. And um, and they all showed up. They all showed up. I mean, in these, we were saying this is, these were people that, you know, we were, one of my, one of my agents, one of my dear agents who I loved had just left three days before to go join one of these people's companies. But it was, it wasn't about, you know, a competition or, you know, let's build relationships in case this thing falls apart so that we could create new. No, it had nothing to do with that. It had to do with, we are going to face this new thing and we are in such better shape if we are not at war with each other and we are collaborating. There is not a single thing that does, you know, worse collaborating, right? There's no example of that in the world where if you get together and you use your brains and your skill sets, I mean, you could look at Survivor and that they knew very quickly to form alliances to get to the end. My favorite was one that, um, you know, wh- where are we? We're in December now of 2020. Um, God help us all. Uh, I was looking back to one from mid-May, uh, an economist we had, uh, Issy Romum from Metrosite. He was an economist with Zillow and Trulia yeah. uh, previously. But he was talking, I mean, this is the, you know, three months into the pandemic, uh, so we were all still get it, still sort of getting our feet uh, underneath us. Um, and uh, Keith's prompting, I started off saying, are we in a depression or a recession? 
Uh, <laughs> thanks, Keith. Um, I, I always see I always see how far I can push economists <laughs> to say that things are bad. He wouldn't say the D word. No, uh, he wouldn't. But he did say that we were in a recession and um, and projected forward a little bit. Uh, but we were talking about some of the fa- the the aspects of of our economy that are going to be most impacted, and he was dead on. He said that um, you know travel, colleges, and retail were going to be seriously affected. Um, the stuff that would be unaffected would be the basically the white collar office jobs uh, and work that could use telecommunications. Um, and I think that's that's been you know that sort of led into well more a today conversation of with so many people working at home. Um, you know, what impact is that going to have, not just on the built work environment, commercial office space, et cetera, but also in the respective downtowns that have been built up you know, sort of around office, retail, commercial space, and what the, you know, what the other side of the pandemic is going to look like. Um, so it was, it was, uh, you know, that was, that was a big part of it. But the, the other piece of that conversation that really, you know, stuck with me, you know, I actually think about it with some frequency, um, in part, cause I need to, uh, Every bad thing will bring some good stuff. Um, you know, we don't know yet what the good stuff is going to be out of this one. It's hard to think about when we're where we are. Um, but he re- he looked back to the you know mid twentieth century out of that pandemic, and we got public water and sewer out of it. We got a better awareness of how disease was transferred. Um, so we you know our society was ultimately better off in some ways substantially yeah. because of that. So it was. It's. I think it's an important thing to. I'm certainly not going to you know lead to that in conversations about the pandemic. Of hey, it's okay. We'll get something good out of this. But it's good to think that eventually we will have some advances. That um, as we've talked about several times, you know, we're going to have advances that might have been you know on the low level, uh, moving slowly before. And this pandemic has accelerated a lot of the stuff in not just society but our business practices as well. Um, yeah, and I think you know one of the things we also talked about in in that conversation were some references. And I don't remember if we said the name directly or not, but I know we're all kind of listeners to the Prof G show. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of his comments he's made repeatedly is is that the pandemic has not really changed the trajectory of our economy; it has simply sped everything up, and it has made technologies that might have taken five years to really become mainstream have happened in, in months instead. Right. Um, and I think what Issy was really talking about in part of this was, you know, you're looking at colleges, the the transformation that Zoom has had on our everyday life, what that's enabled us as a business to do, the, the positives of it. I mean, we have managed to, um, you know, I've, I've managed to go this entire year with about one third the number of miles on my car that I typically do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has meant more time at home. It's meant less commute time. It's meant not that we have huge commute times in Charlottesville, but I mean, just even leaving the house and, and going to the office every day, converting that into home time, it's meant more flexibility. It's meant better, you know, more quality time with family. Um, but it's having a, it's having a trade-off, right? It's harder to manage culture. I think we've, we've found that to be the case. Um, but at the same time, I think we're recognizing the things that really had value that maybe we were questioning it early on. Um, colleges have gone to an online environment. And if you read the Reddit forums off of the college campuses, kids just aren't getting what they got from 
a residential experience. Right. That we've wondered if the Liberty University model of going online and providing online education is really transferable to all colleges. And we're what we're seeing is that the kids are saying, I'm not getting out of this what I expected. I'm not getting what I was getting from my, my residential experience. Yes, residential experiences for college are more expensive than an online opportunity, uh, or in many parts are. But the colleges haven't, you know, they are adapting enormously well. They are they are they are being as flexible as they can, but they're just not reaching their client base the same way. And so I think we're going to find when we come out of this that while we may have increased educational tools and maybe we do still more distance learning than we have been, we're really recognizing and embracing the value that was provided by the the in-person experience. And I think having just come out of Thanksgiving and the number of people I've talked to who spent Thanksgiving with four people, we're all finding different, you know, different values of what we wanted out of that holiday, out of the family unit, out of, you know, the benefits to not traveling versus traveling. But we also really miss what, uh, what we, what we questioned and what we hoped was going to be a, a strong part. And I think we've, we're, we're getting a greater realization of what that strength is and where it's coming from. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that you you talk about the Prof G show, Scott Galloway, um, mentioning a lot about how this is just speeding up progress, but it's also speeding up, um, I don't know, what's the right way of putting this? Speeding up uh, things that we thought that might be good that we oh, realize yes, they're aren't, yeah. they're, they're not good. Like we thought maybe it's on getting quicker education, quicker. that's really, yeah, yeah. Thank you for, uh, Help me with my vocabulary. <laughs> um, um, so yeah, so you know, figuring out those things has been is just as valuable as figuring out the things that that don't work is is just as valuable, or maybe more valuable than figuring out the things that that work. And uh, yeah, I'm the same. Look, I've got one of my two of my three kids are in person in school, and one of them is um, doing virtual. And uh, the virtual school for middle school is it's not it's not working at all. And so I don't think it's working for high school. It's not working for, for high school. For, <laughs> well, and I don't think it's working really for college either. Now, are there out, are there outliers? Have I talked to people who say my kids love it? This is so much better. Sure, but that's probably 2%. Oh, yeah. I lo- see um, I love it. My daughter's a junior in high school, which is a terrible way to spend your junior year. Um and her <laughs> Hopefully they're not listening. But her nine thirty. Trust me, they're not listening. Jay. Her nine thirty. <laughs> no, her, her teachers. Her nine thirty class said, "I don't have enough to cover for the ninety minutes I'm supposed to be here, so we're just going to start every day at ten o'clock." Which has been phenomenal. <laughs> you know, it's that you know her. She has four classes, and they start their day at ten o'clock every day. And if you if you read anything about how kids' brains operate, that later start is much better for the kids. You know, yeah. we, we're going to have to shift you know, society around to get that later start if that's something we want to achieve. But it's a recognition of you know, letting these kids start at 9 or 10, 10 o'clock instead of starting a day at 6.30 or 7 every day to get rolling. You know, there's some advantages to that as well. Um, but it's interesting, Jonathan, you said you know, talking about how things are you – know, you do, th- do something, figure out it doesn't work, and you move on. You know, tying back to the Joel conversation, um, it, we're, we are rapidly editing everything that we do. You know, if, if a tool doesn't work, you're going to find out pretty quickly in this in this online environment if it doesn't get the, the traffic or the eyeballs pretty rapidly. And, right. it, OK, well, that didn't work. What's next? And this is the, uh, you know, I, I, 
uh, I, I've, I've not lived or worked in Silicon Valley, so this is just me as a total outsider. But the, the whole trend in Silicon Valley over the past couple of years of fail fast. If you're going to fail, fail fast. Just throw as much money into it as possible and don't drag it out. <laughs> just figure it out. And that's so that's what's happened, right? That's we 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 you know in our at least in our family we failed very fast in the spring with online school for our three kids. It was not yeah. an environment and nobody's fault, but we realized this was not good for, for our family yeah. um, and didn't work. So that was a quick fail fast. And now we know. Yeah. Um, mm. So it is well, yeah. On, online education has been an experience. No doubt about it. It's, um, it's way more substantive than real estate online education though. Less, less comical. But but it's been a it's been a very different experience. Oh come on, miniature horses with little shoes are always great <laughs> to see in our <laughs> continuing classes. I always feel a, I always I feel very educated. But I remember that picture. That's uh, a story for a different day. Here is a quick segment from our interview with Issy Roman. There might be more demand for office space in parts of the city that are uh, more remote. Um, we might st- we might see more need for offices that are closer to where people have moved to live. Um, we might also see that that at the other end, office space that is more of a let's call it a trophy space is. Um, l- let me let me start over as I as I collect my thoughts on this. Um, yeah. I, th- I think I think we're going to see two two things happening. The first is that certain types of office space are going to survive this in the sense that they send off some signal. They're, they're what I think of as trophy spaces. Think about your Park Avenue Manhattan address. Companies will continue um, renting out that space, using that as their office, having some notional staff work there in order to be able to, to, to keep that prestige and keep that association with, with those places. And I think as people's tolerance for commutes increases, um, it won't be as hard to get those spaces uh, to continue to be used. The spaces that will suffer on the other end are those lower end office spaces that are borderline attractive even pre-pandemic and um, just just won't find the user base in this age of reduced need for office space. And those places are going to be the prime places that might be uh, repurposed for for residential use. Uh, and, and most likely that'll be that'll be um, probably denser. Uh, residential use than you see around them. So it's interesting, is it? You know, when we were speaking earlier, you said that your your PhD was really because you love the city. That, um, in some sense, I would imagine there's a fair amount of demographic work you've done in that's related to the economics of of the urban life. We have seen for the last 15, 20 years a resurgence of the city, of a return. Of really a wide swath of age groups, but in large part, the younger working classes is moving back into the city and wanting to be a part of a you know a lifeblood of of city life. How does this impact them? I mean, is it are you are you envisioning that people with children are at a different um, rate of hitting that centrifugal force, or people without children, or is there are we now looking at kind of the baby boomers moving out of the city faster? Is it, or is there is it really just too early to figure out what that demographic shift might look like now? Well, I mean, the, the short is no, nobody knows, right? We're talking in future tense. We're yeah. we're two months into this, and not that much happens in in, in two months. 
No, I, I was going to say we, we could, uh, you know, maybe we could all pick our favorite real estate CE question and throw it out there if we don't violate copyright. <laughs> um, no. But no, so guys, I'm going to say um, rather than rather than you know, we could talk for hours and hours about some of our favorite favorite episodes. I'm going to say let's wrap this sucker up and uh, look to look to do one more next week for the end of 2020. Um, but I'd say also that we had a, I think we had a darn good year with the podcast. We had some fantastic guests on. Uh, we covered a lot of different topics that were real estate, real estate related, tangentially related, and also you know some that were not even remotely related to real estate, but but come around to talking about how we how we practice. Um, so I think you know from a from a podcast perspective, we had a, a pretty darn good year, and it's going to be a good twenty twenty one. We we so even was, had Jonathan on from time to time. You did. I was about to say. I always I always brag to my kids about how I had perfect attendance growing up in school almost every year. I got chicken pox in the seventh grade, and I missed a couple of days. I got sick once in the tenth grade, but other than that, I was pretty much at every day of school. Well, I did not have perfect attendance this year for uh, for sweat the details. So I'm sorry about that. But everyone you attended, you were here, so it was great. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's I think it's telling though that his favorite podcast was one that he wasn't on. So I'm just gonna... yeah. <laughs> that's true. Oh man! All right, so, so Jonathan, Keith, thank you for uh, for making the time on whatever today is. I know it's December. That's all that matters. Um, and uh, hopefully, people enjoy the podcast, this one, and the ones in, uh, throughout the year. And uh, tune in for some good stuff next year. Yep. Let us know what all you right. need to hear, and shoot us a shoot us a note. We'd love to hear from you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.